Today on the Therapy Dogs Australia podcast, we are very lucky to have a returning guest with us. Tamara Sheed has a wealth of information when it comes to puppy development, ethical breeding standards, and animal health. If you haven't listened to our first episode with her in season one, we strongly recommend checking that one out as well. Grab a cup of tea and let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode with Therapy Dogs Australia, the podcast. We are very lucky because we have Tamara Sheed back on the podcast with us. Um, we had Tamara on in the early days, which was nice, um, talking about early neurological stimulation, ENS, with um, mm-hmm. puppy development and puppy culture, and that was a really popular podcast as well, I mm, might add. Yeah. We, we oh, had really it, great feedback, yes. Oh, that's was, great. That's awesome. Loved it. They were so interested and so We've been wanting to get Tamara back on to talk about the stages after ENS in puppy development. So I'm just thinking maybe we should just do another little quick bio. I know a lot of people would be um, listening to this and have listened to the first one, but just for any newcomers, Tamara, do you want to just do mm-hmm. another little quick bio? For yeah, sure. Everyone? So um, I won't go into as much detail as the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but basically, I'm a breeder of golden retrievers, um, fairly new in terms of breeding. I've only been doing it for about three and a half, coming on to four years now. Um, but originally, I was a school teacher, so I've got a, a background in education, which um, feeds into um, my breeding and um, education of, of our families and that through our, our breeding program. So there's a, a real interest for me in how puppies' brains work, mm-hmm. how um, best to develop them. Um, so they're, they're surprisingly close to children. So <laughs> in terms of that, so I find that really interesting and, and can draw on a lot of that educational side. Um, and then my primary job is an animal acupuncturist and rehab therapist. So um, I've got a clinic on our farm, which I'm at at the moment, um, and we treat everything. So performance dogs, um, I started out doing horses. I don't do that as much um, because the dog side is so busy now. Wow. And I get to be at home and breed and, you know, have a lot of stuff happening on the farm here. So. Mm. Um, I've tried to to sort of stick to the clinic rather than traveling around, which when you work on horses, that's all you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've um, changed from that and um, just loving it. So, so the clinic side is awesome. And then the breeding side, I find it came from the acupuncture side as well, because I was getting a lot of dogs with problems, um, families that are picking up puppies that they've had zero education on, you know, and they, and then they come to me with like hip dysplasia and all these genetic diseases and all these mm. things. So, um, what we try to do with our breeding program is build, um, something that is, we have dogs that are health tested that, you know, we're going to a lot of depth with our health testing. Um, and then we, uh, obviously have this whole program of educating our families so that when the puppies leave us, we're sending puppies out into the world and hopefully never seeing them in shelter situations or anything like that. So, and I'm hopefully never seeing them through my doors with issues <laughs> so far. So good. <laughs> There's heaps of info on <laughs> There's heaps of info on how Tamara prepares her puppies and puppy families in the first podcast, and you should listen to it because it's flipping awesome. It's yeah, fascinating. It's, it's amazing. And if you, especially if you're looking for a breeder, this is the kind of quality of breeder that does exist out there. So you just got to find them. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's pretty amazing. 
You might not find anybody as good as Tamara, but. Oh, gee, no, you will. <laughs> My mentors, they're amazing. That's who we learn from. Good. That's good people to know. People have been there for 50 years, you know. Well, laying, yeah. Laying the foundations of this, yeah. yeah. There's so much more to it than just picking a dog off of a picture on the internet. It's picking the breeder. Pick the breeder first, then mm-hmm. pick your dog. Yeah, you need to have as good of a relationship with your breeder as your husband, I reckon. (laughs) (laughs) Because when things go wrong, you need to be able to pick up the phone and call them. Yeah. That's actually something that um, no one really talks about, the fact that you should feel like you can reach out to your breeder. And Mm. it's amazing how many people don't. Like, Mm. Like I follow all, obviously, all the Golden Retriever pages on Facebook and I see how many people go there for advice. And I'm like, why are you not speaking to your breeder? Like this is the person Mm. that raised your puppy for, you know, nine weeks. Like these are the people that are up with everything. You should be able to feel that you've got a relationship with them that you can just call them up and, Mm. you know, have that. So that's what we're trying to do. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Um, I was just trying to think. So uh, uh, with ENS, um, which if you're not familiar with whoever's listening, that's yeah, we go into a lot of depth in the first podcast. So go and listen there. Um, mm. but what was the it was um a very short space of time in the puppy's development uh that ENS is something that you look into, and then it goes the next stage of the puppy development is at what week? Is it so three, uh, yeah, so three birth to 12 days is your ENS period or your neonatal yeah. period. Um, and then you've got your transitional period, which is 12 to 21 days, which is kind of where the pups are like opening their eyes and things that, you know, sort of happening yeah. slowly. It's sort of a, it's just a kind of a boring time for the breeder in the sense that, you know, you just you kind of got to let them bond with their mom, and and they just sort of feeling their way around the world. There's there's a lot you can do, but there's a lot you can't do with that phase. So you're just kind of biding your time until you get to this um, three to twelve week period, which is what we're going to cover today. Um, yes, and, that's right. And that's your socialization period, and then you've got your juvenile period after that. So yeah, you know, twelve to and under puppy culture adults. and puppy culture is um <clears throat> i know that's uh not just ens that's that's what we talk about when we when we talk about puppy development in general isn't it yeah um, that's like one chapter yeah yeah mm. yes yeah. the basis of, of puppy culture is pretty well what we'll go through in this um in this podcast today so um it's it's what happens from that three-week period until those puppies leave and beyond So, I mean, she's pretty, she's pretty wild. The chick that wrote puppy culture, she like keeps her puppies to 12 weeks. I'm like, man, how do you do that? (laughs) I know there are breeders that do it, like take my hats off because the amount of work you've got to do within the program is, is huge. And like, she does it. She actually gets it done. So Mm. she's got bull terriers. They're hard. They're hard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, she she's in the best position to write this program for all of us to follow. Fantastic. So this so is, are we yeah. saying now? Sorry, is the cut off the critical period for socialization the cut off twelve weeks? Because I think we used to say sixteen mm. weeks for that, but I yeah, think some lot, different uh, research came out and there was a a few different numbers being thrown around. Yeah. So it depends. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of research on that, but mm. uh, you can say pretty confidently it's three to twelve weeks at this yep, stage okay. um it doesn't mean that that up to the 16 week period 
um, there isn't any type of, of development happening, you can definitely still have a good impact. But they've found when they've studied um, behaviours and that, that at the 12-week mark is when it makes it a lot harder for the dogs to take on new things. So that's where the decline begins. Okay. So, um, so yes, the critical period is probably up to 16 weeks, but the best time within that frame is 3 to 12 weeks. So. Um, the newer is, stuff is kind of covering sense. to the 12 weeks. definitely yeah. um, good to know as well for people that are adopting puppies, say, at eight weeks or nine weeks old, mm -hmm. because there is still that critical socialisation period that they need to be considering. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot that the owners need to know mm -hmm. and do when because they're, they're a big, they're most of the part of it really when you get into it. Um, so this podcast probably isn't just for breeders this is probably more for families that are taking absolutely. their puppies home. absolutely 100 percent. yeah yeah we're literally just setting up a foundation and that's it and then we've got to really trust that our families have taken on board all that information that we've fed them over the past eight weeks and that they feel really comfortable in what they have to do because what they do sets their dog up for the rest of their life like mm. literally i'm not being dramatic like what you do in the socialization period literally will have an effect on them as an adult, negative and positive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a hard concept for people to grasp. Like it's a really yeah. tricky one. One of the things that I think contributes to that is that, that vets give different advice. So yeah, what do we, what do we do? Because people ask me, people ask dog trainers all the time, and dog trainers pretty much overwhelmingly say, you just need to keep your dog safe from parvo. That's what the vet's concern is, is the vaccinations that aren't finished until mm. that must be 16 weeks, is it? When yeah, your last vaccination finish? is at 16 weeks, yeah. So um, people are concerned about taking the dogs out into the community because they take their puppy in to get vaccinated and the vet says you mustn't take this puppy anywhere can't go to dog training, can't go anywhere um, until it's 16 weeks old. And then, you know, there's conflicting advice that people get from their breeders and from dog trainers that are like, well, we start training puppies and, ex you know, we'll training them, being exposing them, socialising them before mm. that 16-week period because of this cutoff time. How do we consolidate that for people, do you think? Do you have any thoughts so on that? controversial for me there is more um there is more risk in a badly socialized dog than the risk of parvo or distemper like distemper now is pretty well not even around like mm -hmm. um don't get me wrong parvo is easy to um to get uh, mm -hmm. and at the moment there's a lot of it we had mm -hmm. one of our pups in the litter um actually get parvo um, after they left us, they, um, yeah, spent a week in hospital. Thankfully, um, she was okay and covered by our mm. breeder insurance. So um, it's as easy as somebody walking Parvo into your house. Like right. you know, it's on pathways. It lasts for months. Um, if it's in soil, it can last for years. So yeah. that's a real risk. Like it's a real thing. And at the moment I'm hearing of a lot of cases around. Mm. So it's not something to mess around with, but it's easy to limit your risks. Um, and it's all about vaccination. Um, that puppy hadn't had its second vaccination yet. It was two days before its second vaccination. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's bad luck, but um, it's not 
something that I would say, absolutely wrap your dog in cotton wool over. Um, I think behaviorally, if you don't, if you don't socialize a puppy, you end up with probably euthanasia down the track. It's yeah. not bad. It's serious. Yeah. 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 Or a so, dog that can't um, go anywhere, can't leave the yard, can't, you can't have it around guests. Like it's, yeah, exactly. it's drastic. Yeah. 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 So um, I don't think families need to freak out over that. Um, and a lot of vets are, are on board with that now. It's coming, it's getting better um, and they're starting to, to educate them. So the biggest thing is obviously you don't want to get them started on vaccinations, but obviously if you um, vaccinate, so we sort of try to vaccinate around the eight to nine week mark. Um, and this is mostly because the maternal antibodies are dropping around then. Um, yeah. Well, we can kind of, we just know the dogs have finished feeding off their mum. So, mm, you know, they're yeah. obviously, they've been weaned. Um, the antibodies will drop right up to 16 weeks. You can never really know unless you try to test where that puppy's at. So we try to vaccinate then because really the three vaccinations is just stimulating the immune system um, in order to get a response. It's not that they absolutely have to have three vaccinations to be fully covered as is explained incorrectly to a lot of people. Um, so, for example, we vaccinated my little girl Maggie that was in these litters. Um, at We had these ones done at about seven weeks because I had two litters at the same time. So we're trying to get them together on age. Um, so the youngest were seven and the oldest were eight. And then um, I hold out until 16, 16 weeks usually and then vaccinate then. Um, or you can vaccinate at like your 12, 10 to 12 weeks, and then you can tie to test at 16 weeks. Mm -hmm. So um, with Maggie, in her case, we ended up vaccinating at 12 weeks and tie to testing at 16, and she was fully covered. Most puppies will, will be, and if you actually read the vaccination um, recommendations, they recommend two vaccinations and they're covered. So usually by the time they've had their second a week later, um, they're fairly safe. This doesn't mean go out and like chuck them in dog parks and take them mm -hmm. to the beach and put them on sidewalks and all of that. You still, until you're hundred percent sure, you're still really careful. It yeah. doesn't mean you don't have to get them out though. You know, you can go to Bunnings mm -hmm. now, put your dog in, in the trolley, drive mm -hmm. them around. Um, you can take them on car drives. You can sit. I take my dogs out. Like we've got a coffee shop. She comes out to the coffee shop, sits there, listens to live music. We just take a blanket, put her on the blanket. You know, just limit mm -hmm. your risks in that you're not yep. chucking the dog down everywhere. Like, mm. because I guess what my point is, is that a parvo can come into your house just as easily. So mm. really by by wrapping them in cotton wool, if they're going to get it, they're going to get it. So, yeah. you yeah. know, be careful. Don't don't take them somewhere where the risk is super high, um, but just don't risk your dog not getting socialized. Yeah. Just one of those things in life, hey? Yeah. Just yeah. Gotta make yeah. a decision <laughs> That's, you just got to make a call guys and yeah. yeah do the best you can and I know it's hard because it's scary it's and scary yeah the vets do scare you over it and puppies die from parvo that's absolutely can be the case mm -hmm. um but yeah and I would uh very strongly encourage you to have pet insurance from mm. before you even pick that puppy up what does your yeah. breeders insurance how long does that cover for so we I've never even heard of that yeah, well, no, all breeders are offered that. Um, so we use True Panion. They cover our puppies for 30 days from the day they leave us. Um, and then if the families sign up with the same insurance company, most of them are like this as far as I know, um, then they won't have to do a 30-day waiting period. So it just continues on. Um, but True Panion's awesome in that they have unlimited 
um, cover. So that's why we went with them. And literally they came through for this family. Um, you know, they covered everything for him. So because it it's a free thing. would have been a fortune thing. in hospital for it, a week. Yeah, from what I was told, it was like about six and a half grand for a week. Yeah. Yeah. In there, wow. and they covered yeah. like eighty percent of it or some ninety percent of it, I think he said. Wow. So, um, and that puppy hadn't done much. Like, mm. they didn't take it, you know, anywhere crazy or or yep. whatever. It's but then you know you're exposing them. They get on a plane. Like that puppy flew mm. to Sydney, you know. So there's yep. there's things, but um, yeah, mm. it can happen. Oh gosh, it's not unusual. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but I definitely don't, don't stop them. The high-risk areas being, like, especially, like, dog parks and really busy spaces, if anyone's not aware of that already. Mm. And I've heard that, yeah, it can live in dirt, like, pretty much forever. And I actually... If it's exposed to sunlight, um, it's only a couple of months. Um, oh, die. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it will die. Um, but look, I mean, you just don't take your brand new puppy out on a lead and walk them around everywhere. You carry them, you get them the little yep. pram, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you there's have so many pet trolleys. Awesome. You get secondhand like, ones on Gumtree. And, yeah, yeah, they're great. And a lot of our families. How do you know that, that Max? Oh, <laughs> I've, I've been down that road. <laughs> You're not telling us. <laughs> I'm the one that's pushing in the trolley. No. Are you <laughs> pushing little <laughs> puppy around in a trolley? <laughs> That's me. <laughs> like, I mean, personally, I don't, I don't do the pram thing, um, but the carry crates are awesome. No, I am. The carry crates, and it teaches your dog to be crate trained, get out, you know, sit them on your lap. Like, What about yeah. one of those um, holders that people put human babies in? Mm, that <laughs> would can be wear, You can wear your puppy like I that. I think we need a patent on was something here. Yeah. I would absolutely be doing that. <laughs> so do that oh my god it's the best. no judgment from me if i see people out and about doing that I'm i love all it about that. it makes me smile <laughs> yeah so cute yeah okay sorry i feel like i took took us off path did we have a well no i mean i think it was really structure? good though to to cover the fact that there is a balance but that the way re- the reason that we're talking about development and socialization is because it is really important particularly mm, so in important. those early days and yeah, you absolutely need to take every precaution, but this is also why we're chatting about it. Um, so mm. do we want to kick off with the the three-week mark? Um, yeah, yeah. So I'll explain what the socialisation period is because I think people get a bit confused over that. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically um, dogs are subject to the laws of, of learning just like people are. Um but they, there is biological um, adaptations and limits to, to what a dog can learn when. So the critical socialisation period is a period of time where the dog's brain is developing so rapidly um, and all these little neuro, neural connections are all happening um, that their brain is literally a sponge. So everything that you present to a dog during this critical time, so three to 12 weeks, let's say, um, you have very little input and effort that you can put in at this time for a really big response. So mm-hmm. um, one exposure to something will have a lasting response where after this period of time, their their development changes and the brain starts to become more like an adult brain and solidify. 
And so then you have to start doing things like counter conditioning with dogs and actually mm. training and desensitization to things because they're going to approach something with more trepidation, with more fear, with more, hang on, this might not mm. be safe. Whereas tiny little babies, um, they are just sort of pre-programmed to just go up to things and it's probably not biologically great for them in, in like a wild dog sense. <laughs> um <laughs> But the idea is that their their, um, mother is with them a lot anyway. Mm -hmm. So they have like a lot more confidence. They, um, you know, prior to 12 weeks, you know, they're virtually like immune to to having a lasting negative impression into their adult age, you know. So it's something that you can present them with things. You can work around negative experiences quite easily. You can, you know, you can kind of condition them into it being a positive experience um in that time frame but then after that time frame it's just it's a lot harder so it's not impossible um and it's it's not to say that if your dog missed that critical time oh they're screwed you know that's it Mm. give up you've you've got a disaster but if you've had a lot of negative experiences during that time then that could be a drama that has Mm. definitely been shown to carry through to adulthood in that you know this consistent negative experience or isolation um, will then start to create a dog with more fear um, and then with fear comes aggression and all of these things so um, that time period is set um, and then once they pass through that you just you know that you're just going to have to put in a lot more effort to get the same response that one exposure would do. Okay, I just need to make sure I understand. Mm-hmm. So up to 12 weeks, are you saying that they, so they're pre-programmed, generally speaking, to be more sort of like, are they robust or unoblivious or just like? Yeah, their reasoning's pretty crap at that age. <laughs> right, they're not, they're not yeah. thinking about their survival at that stage. They're not to, trying to, to survive. <laughs> yeah. No, I will love Whereas, they're all programmed to survive, but it's more um, they their curiosity levels are really high, so they want yeah. to approach things. They want to, yeah. oh, what's this? This is interesting. Um, yeah. Where where the critical period ends is where usually where their mother starts to leave them more, and so yeah. that's where this predatory thing comes in of like, okay, hang on, this thing could kill me. This yeah, thing is more dangerous. About so, that, yeah. Yeah. So they're now coming in with they're going through a fear period as well, but then they're they're more concerned with what's coming so that they can protect themselves better. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas little tiny babies, you know, they Mom need to, they need to learn about the environment and things. And if they're mm-hmm. scared of everything, they're not going to do that. So yeah. um, we need to take advantage of that um, in a training sense. And, okay. Um, yeah. So them. They get to, so when they do get a fright in that 12 week period, Mm. are you saying it's easier to counter condition them in that if they do get a fright? Um, Because what I'm interested in is like, how do people stuff it up so bad? Like, you know what I mean? It's it's a lot easier to, to get them it's a lot less likely that they'll get a fright at things, not Mm. to say they won't because it's up to each individual puppy anyway, Mm. um, you know, and their personalities, but they will, uh, yeah, you can, you can get them over things really quickly and really easily. You know, they're a bit nervous of something. You can keep working at it every day and, you know, after three days they're jumping all over it. Um, Where if you have a dog that 
people can sort of stuff it up like where they're just not picking up on that. So if you've got a dog, mm. for example, one of our puppies uh, went to their new home and was a bit scared of cars coming past. Um, no doubt that was something they didn't really experience out on the farm here, you know, so a lack of exposure. Um, and luckily that person was working with a dog trainer. And so most people would just go, oh, they're scared of cars. We'll just avoid it. Um, or mm -hmm. we just won't work on that. Or we just don't know how to fix that where that dog trainer was like, great, let's use this now and start to train her around the cars and give her positive experiences around the cars. She was still within that 16-week period. So mm -hmm. now cars are no no big no deal. Yeah. After that 16-week period, same thing. You would be training the same way, but you'd be doing that for months and months and months and months and months. Oh, it takes forever. Or mm. you can, yeah. If so you can with, get it at all, it takes forever. Yeah, yeah. if you can get it at all. Okay, so, so that people understand that when it's going to be easier to fix any of that. They're less likely to get a fright. They're less likely to get upset. But if they do get upset or there is something that they've developed some kind of aversion to, it's way easier mm. to fix it in that period than if Absolutely. you wait. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so their for ability to take on that information is so much higher and their confidence levels are so much higher. Okay. So naturally it's easier for them to then make a positive connection to that quicker. With um, if anyone's listening that doesn't know what counter conditioning is, pairing up the scary thing with a rewarding thing. So that's like when you're, mm -hmm. yeah, like if you're scared of they're scared of cars, they would have used like distance from the cars and then like treat Treats rewards or... or play or things like that. It's like when you um have a thunderstorm, um with a young puppy and you purposely play games with them and give them. Mm treats and stuff like that so that they don't develop an aversion to the thunderstorm yeah yeah that's probably a good example of ones that um that might get missed or mm. yeah like if you get a puppy in winter and there's not a lot of storms maybe that contributes to when they do get mm. their summer storms come around and, you know, like dogs that are fearful of storms, that can be one that's really hard to fix. Yeah, that's tough. It can be yeah. a great challenge. It can, but it's also um, linked to, I mean, I'm not a dog trainer here, but watching my puppies and, and we have a storm-phobic rescue dog that lives with us. And um, I think a lot of it is linked to sound sensitivity as well, which is what mm -hmm. as good breeders you should be playing them thunderstorm noises, yep. getting them used to everything because they kind of can lump it all together mm -hmm. um, in the sense that if your dogs, your puppies are growing up to be taught to be confident and approach things um, with a positive emotional response or a, like you know behavior mm -hmm. then they're more likely to hear and see a thunderstorm and just go oh whatever like it's yeah not, I've heard loud noises I've heard but like a pop banging and you know new. it's nothing new and whatever um yeah. but it's also the way you behave as well like because dogs are so that they watch you and even as little baby puppies like we had a massive thunderstorm here it was really lucky that this this um litter was in summer because I usually have winter litters uh we had a huge thunderstorm and actually that same puppy who was um funny with the cars was nervous and she sort of ran around and was looking around um but then she had me sitting there really quietly with treats and a clicker um it all worked out perfect this doesn't always happen but this Love time that. it did I was like busy training them when it happened so like yes um <laughs> and so she was like watching her brothers and sisters who were all fast asleep and there was that like pack dynamic too where she was like mm. oh well, they're cool with it and mom's cool with it and 
you know, like, hang on, we're yeah. getting treats. It took her a little bit of time, but she got, you know, she got into an eventually she couldn't care less and there was lightning and thunder and we just stayed on the veranda and kept playing. Um, but there is that little thing of, you know, that's the same puppy that she mm. was scared of. She was the first one to react to noises. I wouldn't say scared, but she was the first one to sort of walk away or, or notice it or be a little bit sensitive. Maybe so, extra. Um, yeah, you got to watch comparison. your puppies for that. You because not all these puppies are going to be perfect just because you've done the training. You oh, know, for they're, sure. yeah. They're, she's like her mother. Her mother sounds sensitive as well. You know, mm-hmm. so um, and we just told the family about that, so they were already going into that, going, okay, she's a sensitive pup. So mm. you know, we're going to get a dog trainer straight away. We're going to work on these things, and that dog's doing really well. You know, yeah. so really trainable but you just got to know where their limitations are and if you're not doing things like puppy culture teaches you to do you're not picking that up in your puppies and that's where your problems begin you know yeah yeah you don't see those little things straight away I suppose that's also something that you you want (laughs) in a breeder that the breeder can communicate those sorts of details to you about Mm. your puppy as well like there might not be questions that you know to ask no, yeah, but... you wouldn't. No, absolutely mm. not until you start experiencing it. And often it's too late then, mm. you know, like by the time you're seeing these things, you're like, oh, how do I fix this? Oh, whoa, we're past this period that I was supposed to be doing all these fun things with my puppy at, you know. So um, I think it's it's hugely, hugely important for breeders to be educated before they come into breeding. Mm. Um, there's a massive drama at the moment with all the COVID breeders who mm. were like, hey, we can get puppies for six, $7,000 and we can just breed our dogs. It's happened. And at the moment um, we've got stacks of dogs in shelters. Um, mm. We've got like the Golden Retriever Rescue. There is so many Golden Retrievers in, in there at the moment. It's, in, it's never like that. Like I'm seeing puppies so for sale every day. Like it's, there's oh, and good breeders as well. Like that I've been following for a while. Like they've got puppies left over, and I'm like, yeah, it's hard to what is happening? Sure. Yeah, like yeah. there's just a flood of dogs in the market because we yeah. went through that dry spell during COVID. And everyone said to, that's what I think. You know, understand has happened is that everyone jumped on board and bred their dogs and then now we've got an overflow overflow of dogs available is that what Mm. you have noticed is that what totally and like as we don't have litters planned for the rest of the year because of this um i don't breed unless i mean i hop on all the sites and check what's going on there's 67 litters of golden retrievers in australia new zealand at the moment that's mental that's mental most of them are sitting on gum tree what would that (laughs) be normally tomorrow like what uh what would I be mean, a more normal number for retrievers it's always higher than the other breeds yeah. um but around 30 oh like 15 God. to 30 yeah what? is kind of normal so is now the time for me to buy a discount golden retriever <laughs> yeah good luck from who this you buy from yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the decent breeders are just not breeding for this reason because mm. we don't breed for that reason oh, you know we don't so breed interesting yeah we've all like we've got a, a whole breeding group and we chat all the time and all of us are like no no one's got litters because there's that just, is a very interesting dynamic because mm. now we've got a flood of dogs, but it would be hard at the moment to get a good dog. Yeah, well, this is, being point. Lots this is of why dogs. you're seeing them in rescues and things because it's people that literally started getting into breeding through COVID, made all their money, and then just went. I mean, a lot of them are ex breeding dogs. There was like three stud dogs that arrived there last week, you know, like 
people just going, oh, well, we're not selling dogs. Let's just get rid of these animals that we <laughs> bred over COVID. Like it's it's so unethical. It's awful. Mm-hmm. And that's what gives what? breeders a, a really bad name. Yeah. Especially that's... for Goldens to be rehomed. It's it's virtually unheard of. You know, you don't oh, get for sure. yeah, Goldens. It's so like, hard to get a rescue yeah. Golden. Yeah. So hard. Yeah. So you got to be that's really careful crazy. where you're buying at the moment and um, what you're paying. Prices are dropping. Um which is scary in the sense of good breeding because we set our prices based on what our animals need to thrive and have good lives. And if the prices are just dropping, it's scary for what's going to happen for big breeding programs um, Mm -hmm. that are trying to keep their standards really high and they just can't afford to. So you will find a lot less happening now. I guess interest rates have something to do with it as well. I was going to say that, um, yeah. Yeah. So, look, we just don't. A lot of uh, you when you're looking for your breeders, I know this is probably not what we should be talking about, but when you are looking for a breeder, you want to make sure that they actually breed for themselves. That's the reason that they're in it or they're breeding to improve the line or they're, they have, mm-hmm. like, they can really talk passionately about that. They're not yeah. just breeding because, hey, my dog was pretty um, and mm. I just wanted to make some money. So, you know, we breed when we want to keep something. We kept two out of the last litter, mm. um, you know, for our own benefit. So for showing, for, um, you know, research, for whatever we're doing it for. So, um, yeah, just really be careful. Currently. Interesting little problem that we've got going on mm. there. Oh, it happens all the time. Like it, the COVID breeding thing was that you know from talking to our mentors that have been around 50 years they're like no we went through periods where we were giving mm. away dogs you know okay. you can't don't think you're going to make a living out of breeding because you're not mm. <laughs> it might have felt like that like you were through covid but mm. no 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 yeah. you got to do it for the love of, of animals and for wanting to to put healthy happy dogs in homes not for um, anything other than that so oh, interesting very mm. gosh the other um, thing about COVID was all the COVID dogs, puppies that went home in COVID, um, which I have Nala, who was just before, was very lucky that I got her in December and we had COVID in March. So we did miss out on stuff when she was a yeah. young dog, but we didn't miss out on her critical period stuff so she got she got to go to puppy schools and do all the socialization stuff and all that sort of thing um we just missed out on like later dog classes and yeah Mm. that's what it was everything shut down for ages yeah yeah we got um one of our dogs in that right as we went into lockdown so we couldn't even do Mm. anything and this is when I was this is my first breeding dog so um I was still learning about all this and I was like, oh, well, she saw lots of people, so she's great with people. She's great. I mean, you can drive a tractor past her because she did all her socialization on the farm. You know, she's fine. But we couldn't go into town. And even Mm. now, like I was literally sitting with her in town the other day just trying to give her a good experience because she's Mm. so anxious going into that situation and, you know, into town and busy cars and noises and, you know, she's my sound-sensitive dog anyway. Mm. So luckily she got a lot of – 
she got a lot of training with her breeder that is my mm. mentor now. So thankfully um, it's nothing major, but it's just something like I just get frustrated with it because it's mm. what I tell people, you know, this is, but then it's kind of a good thing because I can be like, this is how they can be just from yeah. missing out on these experiences. She hasn't had mm. a bad experience with it, but she just had no experience with it. Mm. And that was, that was on me. That was when she came home to me. So this is why families need to understand this critical period um and the right sort of stuff as well because I was at the time following um like there was this thing about you know they've got to they've got to meet like a hundred people and I think I just had the wrong document <laughs> because I wouldn't even do that now it, there was no emphasis on it being a positive thing and that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest things you don't want to be oh, yeah, taking you don't your want puppy. them to meet a hundred horrible people like no, there's a really good dog trainer, um, Absolute Dogs, they're called. I love, I follow all this. Are they so good? Um, but he makes a really funny thing about this this wizard. He's like, where did this wizard come from? Like with the umbrella and the hat and like the cape and, you know, the man with the beard. Like they got to have all this weird stuff. And like, he's, you know, that's not reality. Your dog's not mm. going to see that. And you've got to expose them to the things that they're going to see regularly. Um, mm. You've got to take them to the places that you want to go with them um, mm. because that's where as an adult dog, you need them to be really comfortable in that situation. So, yeah, um, yeah it's what it's one of those things like you just have to expose your dogs um, but then also expose them and make it positive because if they're yes. exposed to it mm-hmm. and it's negative, the learning is the same. So, mm. you know, yes, it's easier to counter condition them, but if you're not understanding that concept, you're not doing that at all. So um, you need to have a real good understanding of a positive emotional response um, and how to create that. So clicker training, lots of treats, um, training and playing games with them in busier situations, you know, with noise, with cars coming past, like try to um, expose them in a way that's that's really nice. Having children come up and give them treats rather than children coming up and grabbing onto them and, um, you know, like letting your dog approach and, and being comfortable with people rather than it just being like, oh, well, they saw 100 people, but, you know, one of those experiences was bad. Well, that's the experience your dog's going to remember. They're like mm. us. You get one bad review and you remember yep. that, not the that's 100 yep. good ones, you know. Yep. So And it yep. will take exposure after exposure after exposure in positive way, which is kind of hard to get, to then um, to counter condition that behaviour that they've now learned is. That's such a good point as well because yeah. we we often have um people come into our course students who have <clears throat> or people asking questions um mm. about our course who have exposed their puppy to a school environment before they were ready or mm. maybe not taken the right approach where yeah. maybe they've brought their puppy to school and they've just gone about their their day-to-day job instead yeah. of gone okay I'm going to come in for an hour it's going to be about the puppy and then I'll take them home mm. and so it's less about yes. Yeah, what we what we've been trying to to say is that exposure is good, but it has to be positive. It has to be in the right way. It has to be yeah for the benefit of the dog. So you the know. biggest concern has been like a flooding situation where people take them because people get told exactly that like if you want your dog to be able to handle going to bunnings then you got to take them to bunnings and if you want them to go and do that and then you got to take them to that Mm. but then when you're in 
not ed- educated in how to do it correctly, it's a real free-for-all of following that advice and then the puppies are going to these places and one of them will be schools because the dog trainer or whoever has said you've got to socialize them to a school if you want them to be able to cope in a school but the problem being that the the person who's taking the puppy has not received any training on how to correctly read their puppy's body language how to um structure a a, set, a socialization session so that the puppy is feeling appropriately mm-hmm. supported they take the puppies like we hear this all the time they take the puppies to work with them when they're going to work so the other issue is that the dog's there all day mm-hmm. and the person's not attending to the dog and doing things like counter conditioning they're just doing their job and then mm-hmm. the dog's just doing whatever and I think the puppies get tired and they get over it and they get upset and things that you can't control happening are things like if you take a puppy into a school, you're getting 150 kids running up to you. There's mm. no way that's not happening. There's just zero chance that's not happening. Yeah. And people will tell us like, you, you know, these things have happened and then their dogs have gotten a fright. And if they don't know how to respond when the dog is like that, we've seen multiple multiple dogs that have come through that have Mm. had that negative experience Mm -hmm. and they'll never be school dogs ever because of the way that they've that environment for them has just been totally poisoned Mm. for them for the like Mm. it's you could try and counter condition them as much as you want these dogs they just it's too late like it's they're too far the other thing that usually has happened um is they've kept taking them Mm. So they're being re-traumatized over and over and yeah, over. Yeah, and over if and over we keep doing again. it, they'll get used to it eventually. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 no. What yeah. you need to be doing in that situation is having one child come to your house where your dog's mm. happy and comfortable and um and learn to go, oh well, little people are okay and you know, they're fine and they have treats and they train me and that's fun. Um yeah. and then gradually increase that. Like reality reality is they're going to make their reasoning is going to come in where they see a, a little kid in your house. Um, they're going to associate that little kid at a school as well. You mm-hmm. don't have to throw them in with 50 kids. Mm-hmm. To be, oh, well, they've experienced a school. Like, so you just need to keep, if you just have it in your head that it, everything your puppy does with you has to be a positive experience. Mm-hmm. And if you can't control the environment, don't do it. So it's not worth it. You're better off to not let that puppy have that experience because if it's negative, that's so much harder to get rid of. Like like we just spoke about it before that, yes, it is easier to counter condition within the critical period, but um, it's it's still easier to have positive experiences than it is to have a negative one because they do hold on to the negative one more. So, um, because there's fear attached to that, that, right? So, um, yeah, and, and yeah. there's self-preservation, they're animals. Exactly, so, yeah. Um, it's hard, it's common sense, you know. So, People going into schools, Tara, like they can be doing things like going to um, other places that have got stuff going on, mm. you know, and they'll see stuff. So like uh, like you so like cafes, I love cafes, Um for socializing puppies and dogs because you're usually sitting down Mm. and there's a real um it does feel like you've got a lot more control over 
people approaching and stuff like that as well? Like, and do puppies, you know, they can be on your lap or they sit under your chair and stuff like that, Mm. but they're going to see people, you know, scooters go past wheelchairs, like they're going to see stuff like that and it'll just come and go and you give them a treat and it's Mm. like so low stress compared to taking them into some really full-on environments where yeah you do lose control of the situation and it's like oh wow okay yeah this is and it's, so, it's amazing how many people can't read their dog like mm. the body language the amount of families um that have said to me oh the dog just growled at me out of nowhere the dog just mm. like got really angry out of nowhere and I'm like no that dog probably gave you like 20 or maybe even 30 chances before they did that. You just didn't see it. So, yeah. you know, were they, what were their ears doing? What was their tail doing? Were they leaning back with it? You know, like there's so much body language within that. But I think one of the really important things you said there, Sam, was that whole um, being able to watch a situation. Mm. Um, and then as an owner, as a breeder, trainer, whatever, is teaching them calmness in that situation. Mm. So a dog is not naturally calm you have to teach that behavior into them and so teaching them that yeah or there's all this stuff going on and it's okay you don't need to be concerned with that your focus is here with me at my side this is where your treats this is where you're getting your treats this is a happy place and all that other stuff going on around doesn't matter Mm. in negative or positive you know like just you don't need to be engaging with everything, which yep. scares me with some puppy schools because they do this with puppies as well, where it's like free for all, dump your puppy in with yeah. all these other puppies and it's they chaos. And, yes. and then it's like, hey, now let's teach them to sit and drop and rot. Like you can teach that stuff at home. Like puppies are smart. Mm. Like they learn that. You don't need to go to puppy school for that. Mm. You need to go to puppy school where you've got a trainer who's teaching them emotional stability, mm. <laughs> like and is yep. teaching them that, okay, yeah, there's 30 puppies here. You're all on a lead but you can all sit here calmly and just look at each other. You know, you don't have to be jumping at each other's faces and (laughs) creating this like elevated chaos. Like, so I think the the biggest thing you you can do is, I mean, if you want to take your puppy to a school, that's fine. Go and sit like way away and Mm. sit there and train your puppy and let them just watch it. There's so much value in just letting your puppy sit and just watch things, go to a park, watch kids play and then get really comfortable with saying no to people and yeah. going no yes. my puppy's That's training it's so awkward <laughs> it's yeah. so Boundaries. hard and it's so awkward but if you don't advocate for your dog and you don't stand up for your dog you're mm. going to end up with a dog that's reactive fearful doesn't trust you doesn't see you as as somebody that's going to protect them and keep them safe and so then a dog's natural um desire is going to be well i'm going to keep you safe because you don't know what the hell's going on you're not safe here you can't handle this situation i'm going to handle it for you you don't want a dog doing that you want your dog looking at you like what are you doing about this because you're you know this is the person that's going to keep you're my protector you're keeping me safe so if your dog yeah. is, if you got like a kid coming up or whatever, I mean, every kid should ask before they touch your dog anyway. Um, but, you know, if you've got that situation and your dog's actively leaning back and looking uncomfortable, just mm. stop it right there, you know, mm. like intervene in that in that situation. Don't feel bad. Like it's for yeah. the long-term benefit of you and your dog and so that that dog can be approached by kids later. It's also and if good like, for everyone that yeah. it comes into contact with your dog because it's educating everyone. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes... Yeah just saying no to someone that will stick with them for any yeah, future like interactions with other dogs like oh yeah 
know, you'll probably get called a crazy dog know. person by at least one For of them. Sure. But that's, that's, a that's a compliment. That's a compliment. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's one of the hardest things I think I've had to learn is to just say no and just say, mm-hmm. no, sorry, I'm training my dog or that's fine, but you need to do it this way. You know, you can come and yep. sit next to me here and just sit with my dog and, you know, yeah. and then give it a treat. And, and, and if you're fine. one of those people that is going to struggle with that saying no, that's okay. Um, you don't have to get a personality transplant. That's fine. Um, but don't take your dog places where a lot of people are going to approach you mm. because if you need to set yourself and your dog up for success. So if that level of conflict is really stressful for you and it's like, oh my God, or you go and you think you're going to be able to do it and then you go out and you don't do it because it's weird and awkward and that sort of stuff, that's Okay. Just learn from it and choose far more structured settings and things like that. Give yourself a lot more distance between people mm-hmm. and things like that. Don't revert to doing nothing. Don't just go and do nothing with the dog because you are now worried about not being able to say no, but also don't go and put yourself in, you know, really busy, like the Raycliffe markets down here, like, you know, mm-hmm. where it's very, very busy and everyone's going to want to pat the puppy. Don't go and take it to... I like school pick up and drop off for puppies because you can be sort of, yeah, watching all the kids go by and stuff like that. But if you're going to be really close to the gate, every kid that comes past is going to reach out and touch that dog and the dog's Mm. got no option to avoid it. Mm. So be, be away, be Mm. away, you know, like the side streets near schools have still got got kids going down them and noise and you can be there, be a bit away and be there before the bell goes off. So they hear the bell and things like that, but don't be right in the school and then have the bell go off. And it's like this massive abrupt sound or, you know, something like that happens. And and if your puppy gets a fright, then now you're going to have to try and fix it. Whereas if you start with a bit more distance and you're outside mm. and you're on the street and they hear the bell and give them a treat and they're fine, then maybe you can start moving a bit closer. I'm a recovering people pleaser. And <laughs> so for me, getting Dougie was really challenging as well, just for setting boundaries with people and saying no. Mm-hmm. But I also found that other ways you can just say, oh, we're in training right now. Like We're not saying mm. hi right now or no, he's not friendly, or things other than no can actually help yeah. the situations. But also not yeah, to if you've over... got to tell a white lie, that's okay too. Yeah, but know, not to over-explain yourself either because otherwise yeah. you're standing yeah. there talking to people for... Oh, and they so don't long. really care, you know, <laughs> you're wasting <laughs> your time. Yeah, yeah I, I like worked the... with um, a dog trainer when we started, um, before I started breeding, and I had Austin who is my um, my COVID puppy, and we were like in the park and she's really friendly with people because she saw, you know, she had people around her and that. Um, but I was like, oh, my God, I can't say no. Like that's so embarrassing. Like I just couldn't do it. And so, we, you know, he was walking one of my dogs and I had her and like this kid just came running at us. And I'll just never forget like he just – bypassed this kid like a steam train and he was like so focused and I was like oh my god and like my other dog was in the kid's like I just wanted to touch the dog and he was like I'm not even looking at you because I'm here for this dog and it was I mean it was extreme but it was so funny and I was like wow okay like and like my dog was like whoa like you just controlled that like she was like thinks he's amazing now because you know but I just 
I mean, that's 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 the extreme because he's just so yeah. used to being like, nope, this dog's training. This is what we're doing. Or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I was like floundering, and the kids like touching my dog, and I'm like, oh my god. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can often actually pick them. You can pick the people that you just you just know the ones that are going to come coming. up and yeah. Yeah, approach. Yeah. You. Yeah. yeah. Easier yeah. to just divert. I like that. Um, we're not vaccinated. We're not vaccinated. Mm. Sorry, we're not vaccinated. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That one. And some people be like, with their dog, you know, they'll be like, oh, well, we are. And I'm like, well, we're not vaccinated. So, you know. Yeah, your dog can still carry them. (laughs) Dog can just do whatever. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Now I'm going to start being mean to you because you've ignored my gentle. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Social, like, oh, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ignore me, please. Yes. It's a good, um, it's a good thing to to give your your dog a voice, I think, um, with all of this, and I guess all the mm. training within the critical socialization period is what we're trying to do. So we're not just trying to throw things at our dogs. Like, sure, we we you know we play different sounds. They get novel items. Um, each week is something new. You know, we make them walk on weird surfaces. Um, you know, we do all that sort of stuff. But underlying all of those experiences is learning that as a breeder and as an owner your dog needs to be given a language that they can speak with you Mm. um that they can understand because they're trying to navigate like their doggy world and all the things that come with like in my house seven dogs like they have their pack and they have all these dynamics that they have to navigate but then they also have to know that say let's take jumping up as an example so you know they can't jump up on um people that's not people language that's dog Mm. language that's how Mm -hmm. puppies go Mm -hmm. I'm cool I'm not going to hurt you I'm just going to jump on your face and play and like that makes sense to a dog but it doesn't make sense to people but by shutting your dog down at that point and you know giving them a jerk on the lead and telling them off and yelling at them or shoving them off you or doing all like a negative thing you're just shutting down their voice and so Mm. like children if you don't give children a voice if, if you don't teach them how to communicate with you you get frustration, right? Like, yeah. you know, and then frustration is anger, aggression. Mm. Like um, it's the exact same thing with your dog. So then they, they're starting to come from maybe a place of fear and then mm-hmm. aggression. Um, so what you need to be doing is, okay, well, jumping up is okay with you playing with puppies, but with me, let's teach you to now sit. So manding is a really important part of the puppy um, culture program. And it's basically teaching an automatic sit without telling your dog that. Mm-hmm. So from like like three weeks old, I'll sit down, have all the puppies around me, and it's just like click treat for the puppy that's sitting near me that's mm-hmm. choosing not to jump on my lap. I don't. Mm-hmm. I just ignore the one that's jumping on my lap. That's cool because he'll figure it out sooner or later. He's yeah. going to see mate sitting. So it's like, well, you're doing, you're greeting me, and you're speaking to me in a way that I understand and you understand there you go, there's a treat. And that stops that frustration. Mm -hmm. And I think that underlies everything that you do with your dog is that whatever they're doing, whatever the behavior is that's frustrating you, you need to think about why the dog's doing it Mm -hmm. biologically. What is that Mm -hmm. dog trying to communicate? What does that behavior mean to them? Mm -hmm. And then how can you just replace it with a different behavior that's acceptable to you? So it's it's a simple concept, but it's something that as humans, we try to stop things rather than fix things mm. you know if you know what I mean like we'd go oh they're barking let's just rouse on them well you're just barking with them you know yeah. like, it's true. like that dog's warning you like there's someone there there's something happening this is or they're in an overstimulated environment there's all, 
always a reason for why these dogs are behaving in this way and if you can't communicate with them then you need you probably need a dog trainer to come and explain to you why why their dog's doing it and how to fix it um yeah but I think underlying everything is give your dog a voice because if you don't that's where all these behaviors and all this negative stuff comes from so as an owner as a breeder um you know you you've got to teach them that if you're scared of something, it's okay. Let's work through it. Let's teach you some emotional resilience um, and use your positive reinforcement to do that. It's so rewarding with puppies to see them overcome mm. like a little fear or like a little aversion mm. to something, you know, like one of the biggest ones, we chuck crates on the ground and then put a tarp over the crate and then try to lure them over it. And they mm-hmm. freak because <laughs> like, everything feels weird mm. and the crate's moving and everything's happening. But if you just work at it and you, you're going, oh, there's one little step, good boy, here you go, click treat, and you keep that consistency with them, like by the next day, some within the session are like running over it. There's no mm. problem, you know. So I just think, yeah, it's it's a really, um, it's one of the, the most important things I've learned throughout breeding, working with trainers, Um and seeing my own dogs is, is, and it's probably the most important part of puppy culture is give your dog a voice and understand it. Really learn, learn what, what they need. If you're going to yeah. have a dog, that's your Pay responsibility. Yep. Yeah. Pay yeah. attention always because the behavior comes from something. There's always a reason. It, there's never not a reason. And if there isn't a reason, I bet you there'll be something physical going on with that dog, you know, health wise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is out of their control. One so, of the things um, that, that um that reminds me of is when people bring up like they might have like a problem behavior or they're having trouble getting something with the obedience or manners or whatever and I'll start asking them questions about it and they can't answer any of the questions and I'm Mm. like that's this is what my nine-year-old autistic kid clients are like because they don't have insight like they don't know how to answer questions about themselves and so like that's what I'm teaching them but when I'm you've got this problem with the dog but you can't even describe what it is so you you need to go back and watch the dog like find the pattern there'll be a pattern of some behavior or something like that and try and figure out what you know, get some more information and then we can try and give you some, you know, dog training advice isn't just general advice. It's based Mm. on the dog and the handler and the situation. And there's all these factors and variables at play that we need to take into account. And so once I start asking about them, people just can't answer stuff, you know, they're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Which whatever, like you, maybe they're questions you didn't, think of or what or whatever but it just it does take yeah take me back sometimes at just how little people are actually observing Mm. and watching and getting to know their dogs Mm. you know Mm. like this yeah it's mm. it's kind of scary you know like you always have to sit back before you get a puppy and think about why you're getting the puppy yeah you know like a good question to ask yeah you know why are you bringing this dog into your life what do you what do you want to do do you want them to just lie on the couch and do nothing like or do you need them you know especially in in your guys case with therapy Mm -hmm. dogs like those dogs have a real purpose and so even more so if you're 
if you're trying to get a dog for therapy purposes or working, you know, working style dogs, Mm -hmm. um, you really need to understand this. You need to understand socialization. You need to understand dog behavior Mm -hmm. because what you do in those few weeks and what you do when you get this puppy home is going to be the decider whether they're going to make it as a therapy dog or as Mm -hmm. a working dog or not. And Mm -hmm. if you miss those, if you miss those periods, then, you know, you've got a lot of work ahead of you. Do we think that, yeah, and and, uh, that's why we did our puppy program and that's why we talk to you because it is too often that people have already wrecked the dog. By the time it gets Mm. to us for their therapy dog training, the dog's Mm. been wrecked already and I'm like, oh, no. like It's so hard then to get this, you know, like I'll give you a really intense example and I, I actually tried to find the study this morning but I ran out of time and couldn't I was in one of my textbooks I couldn't find it um, but I wrote the study down as, as to what happened so um, now this is probably not something that will happen uh, in most breeding programs but it probably could um, with backyard breeding or something like that so it's the isolated puppy scenario so you basically mm-hmm. take a pup um, they did this in a lab Um, a couple of puppies and they completely isolated them from social experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't give them negative experiences. They just didn't give them anything. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they didn't, they were weaned. um, I think they were appropriately weaned at the right age, um, which is a whole other thing too, in terms of emotional um, resilience Mm -hmm. in puppies. Um, But they were, yeah, yeah. um, they were just yeah they were just completely isolated and then they followed these puppies and I've written it down here so they had poor learning and problem solving so when they started to try to train them these puppies were Mm -hmm. they were operating from a level of such fear and Mm -hmm. such trepidation because they hadn't experienced anything that they actually could not problem solve like they Mm -hmm. couldn't figure things out because their emotional state was so wrecked Mm -hmm. from doing nothing and from not being stimulated appropriately Um, They were either really hyperactive or they were completely inhibited and couldn't do anything. So they were extremes in behavior. Um, They were emotionally overreactive. They couldn't encounter novels or um, situations or environmental situations. They just couldn't face it. Like they were reactive towards new things. Um, They would either have extreme fear towards it or they would completely avoid it and try to run out of the room. Like Mm. I can't imagine how traumatic this this experience would have been for them but so they were they're basically socially incapacitated just wrecked so this is a situation where okay they were given nothing but like a cage and that was it um they weren't allowed to play with their litter mates Mm. um they were isolated from everything from people from um, other dogs so this might not happen in in a breeding sense because even the terrible breeders um the puppies are still at least in their litter and so they're still learning all these social um things off other dogs um and then they're having some kind of interaction with the breeder because they're being fed their environment's probably at worst you know a a dirt run out the back with no toys and and no experiences like that Mm. um but then what you end up doing is taking that puppy out of that environment so hey that puppy costs half the price i'm going to buy that one off gumtree now Mm -hmm. and i'm going to take it and i have no idea about anything to do with socialization training i've just got a cute brand new puppy and i'm just going to pour all this love into it and hope for the best um but what you you're getting is a, a dog that's coming to you in a state of fear despair like everything is so overwhelming to this puppy because they haven't experienced it 
And if you don't know how to counter condition that, if you don't know how to support that dog, like even, even if you do know how to support that dog, the platform from where they're starting off from is so, it's just so stressful. It's so, you know, that they don't have emotional resilience at all. And if you have a puppy with zero confidence and no emotional resilience, good luck training it. You know, even if you're the best trainer in the world, you're not going to have a dog that's going to go into adulthood and, and be able to handle situations with a sound sense of, of, of mind, you know, um, they're heavily burdened at that Mm. point. And so I'm giving you like a massive extreme, but this does happen. And this is why we're so passionate about people not buying these gum tree dogs and not buying off backyard breeders Mm. because these are the dogs that end up in the shelters. Mm -hmm. And then we get the whole adopt, don't shop thing, which, um, you know, then you're taking on an adult dog who's been let down by people multiple times, put into a shelter environment. Prepared for that kind of dog. It's a lot, yeah. it's a lot, you know, and th- and that's down to the breeder, but it's also down to the families that take them home. And mm. I think, oh, um, yeah, 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 you've, yeah, you've got to, you've got to socialize these puppies and it's not just exposure, it's actual training in those situations. It's teaching that dog to have a positive response to things. Mm. Um, or you know, a neutral. Yeah, or neutral, calm, like mm. just, just not a negative, you know, yeah. or not yeah. experiencing it at all. Yeah. Um, so, you've actually just touched on something so important there tomorrow from a therapy dog perspective as well because, you know, um, bringing a dog like that into a workplace environment also then there's a safety issue. Like mm. there are a lot of other things that already with a very well-rounded dog you have to be careful and considerate and do risk assessments for but if you're bringing a dog into that environment particularly if you haven't gone through any training you're just bringing this dog in there are going to be some real real problems that could yeah come to the surface just from yeah and it doesn't come from I guess no, that's that's the point I'm trying to make is that this doesn't come out of nowhere. This comes this mm. comes from as a as an owner, you need to know what questions to ask your breeder, especially in a therapy dog setting or a dog that's you know meant for work or even meant for a household with children, um, because even you know the most balanced looking dog, if they haven't had these really nice experiences, um, can react because of where they're operating at when you get them. So. Um, yeah, it's important to check, go to the breeder's place, check out the situation, where are the dogs being kept. I Like most breeders that are proud of their litters and proud of what they do are going to tell you all this anyway. Um, but if you have a breeder that's not willing to talk about what they do, like ask them, what do you do? What, what do you know about critical socialization? Mm. Like sound like a nerd and ask them because mm. like it's so important for you and your dog's emotional well-being when you get it. So yeah. we want to be sending out confident dogs and that's what we do. And I would rather, I love when my families come to me and tell me like a problem that their confident dog has. I'm like, sweet, like that's awesome. Your dogs, because the worst thing they could be is a stressed, you know, emotionally unstable animal. Mm. Like the best thing they can be is overconfident and then you can work with that. Like, oh, for sure. We say know. that too. 
I say that um, all the time. Like, yeah, like confident dogs are, are hard work as well because they're yeah. like, what are we doing? You know, like, and they're yeah. just going into everything and <laughs> yes. they, like, yeah. they're used to being trained. It's like children. If you read to mm-hmm. children early on in life and if you teach them, like, there's studies on kids doing sign language before they can talk and then mm. their ability to learn is just exponential. Like, so dogs are exactly the same. Like, if you give them all these awesome experiences, you you teach them to learn then you take them home and like they do, they push you to, you know, they want to do mm. stuff. Like they're not sitting around being a couch potato. Yeah. Um, well, they will some of the time, but mm. you know, like they want to play, <laughs> they want to do stuff. They want to learn. They want to, you know, like I've got my little pup. I think you would have seen her on Instagram hanging onto my mop. Like she's yeah. not scared of nothing, you know, like she's like chases the vacuum with me play. Like she's like play bowing yeah. at it. That's what yeah. you want. You want a dog that's like coming into yeah. these, experiences in a happy in a positive and like you know you're starting with like this really solid foundation and then you can just yeah. build on that I but agree. it's the building on that that you need to know how to do so get I a good agree. trainer if you don't know yeah and I think personality traits of the human probably um if you're a person that's maybe overwhelmed or things like that I think those dogs can become problematic if Mm. you are not a good fit for them um you know that that those dogs might become then like oh okay well so I obviously am running the show so that's Mm. good like great you know and those they might become you know a little bit less like fun behaviors once they reach Mm. their adulthood and more like um quite controlling and demanding type behavior. can be dominant yeah. yeah 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 um but I always tell people like man give me a dog like that any day over <laughs> an anxious dog yeah. who's you know like it it's, takes so much longer to treat anxiety and there's no you just don't because anxiety you also don't know where it came from like mm. you don't know is this a neuro thing is this a environmental stimuli thing like you know and it just you never know what your success is going to be they're all it's it's so varied um but with a yeah like a confident dog confident pushy dog like that um you're going to be pretty safe if you keep that dog busy and structured and yeah you, you know, can rein in the confidence you know that's it's, it it's so like that's, much easier that's the best you know yeah. I love that I'm like, absolutely great. that dog's telling you how they feel you know like even ones that are a absolutely. bit or a bit expressing themselves I'm like well he feels comfortable enough to tell you how he feels so respect that. Yeah. that you know absolutely. and then work with that and go okay that was maybe a bit intense now let's work on like what (laughs) the appropriate result should be and they usually come good you know they usually come around because they're not scared to to express themselves and I love that yeah I think that's um the goal for all my puppies is I'd rather send them out with like this inflated sense of self Mm. (laughs) these huge egos you know (laughs) you guys are amazing (laughs) then these dogs that are just fearful of it. I never want to hear that one of my puppies is terrified of something you know or mm. like I feel like I've failed as a breeder when I hear things mm. like that you know um we had a puppy just last week that was in a car accident um oh. and he's fine and, the, and they're fine and the car was fixable but she said like she sent me photos he was fast asleep in the back seat like he had his little seatbelt <laughs> on and everything um but she said like in that situation of all the craziness there was not a single 
minute of fear with him and that wow. to me was just like damn that is awesome yeah, you know success. like yeah that was cool because we did play a lot of ambulance sirens to those <laughs> <laughs> and weird noises and that but then it comes down to their breeding too that particular litter um would make excellent therapy dogs because their dad was um well known for therapy work mm-hmm. um when he was alive and i've got two from him now and just like just their breeding alone um they're genetically they're wired to just be chill kind of dogs like nothing phases them like I took Cammy with me to the hairdresser when I first got her and she was like head like low waves and everything she was fast asleep at my feet for like five hours done you know and that's just the that's the breeding too so it's important um as a puppy buyer that you talk to your breeders about that too and that's what Mm. you won't get from the whole COVID breeder situation we're talking about before Mm. they won't be able to talk to you about their lines they won't understand you know that the genetics lend themselves Mm. to a dog that's better for therapy work than one that's not Mm. um yeah you got to ask these questions and Mm. if they can talk confidently and passionately about the breeding that they've done you're on to a winner um yeah because at the end of the day that's what we want that's why we you know like to get their dad it's all frozen semen to be able to get that and be offered that was like the best day of my life because I knew what I was getting you know I was like man this dog was amazing and there's not much of him left in fact we've got the last of him now so um yeah to be able to breed dogs like that and we've actually sent one off to do some work in a nursing home and another one um into a family that's that has um sort of quite an emotional time ahead of them Mm -hmm. and needed some support so um, as far as I know, they're both doing really well in those situations. So, right. yeah, it comes down to the breeding as much as it comes down to socialization. Yeah. Yeah. So we've already sort of touched on this a bit, um, but the it kind of adds on to that. But the tarps over the crates thing, um, mm-hmm. how much do you see like, so I think of those kinds of things as resilience building. Mm-hmm because you're not super comfortable with it but I have total control over the environment so I know that you're not going to get hurt Mm. Um, and then I can give you this challenge and then you overcome the challenge and it builds your confidence but I think it also builds your capacity to be challenged Mm. and know you know, have some confidence in a challenge. And so when you do get a bit scared, the bounce back is better. Mm. So we see dogs, like we temperament test all these dogs and I don't care if they get a fright. I don't care about that. What I care about is can they bounce back and how long does it take for them to regulate again? You know, like brilliant. Yeah. how do they behave when they get a fright did they try and kill something or did they just, you know, startle, spook, they might bark, whatever. Mm. And how quickly did they recover or was that it? Like, and that Mm. was, you're done for the day basically Mm. kind of thing because we don't need, we don't need like, I don't want, I actually think a dog that doesn't, I don't want a bomb proof dog just like I don't want a bomb proof horse. Like I think if they're not reacting to their environment, they're not here with yeah. me. They're not present. They're, they're not. Down. They're shutting down. So I would prefer, um, you know, 
same with same with horses. Like I would prefer that you see it and have a moment with it, but that you recover quickly. Mm. And it's not that you see it, have a moment with it, and then try and kill it for five minutes or bolt away from it for 20 kilometers far mm. go through a fence. You know, like I don't mm. I want that sort of measured things. Do you think that um doing those activities when the puppies are little um is that is there a neuro thing there of like are we building resilience like what's yeah well challenges build resilience so with people and with um animals so and that is a huge part of you've just explained a whole part of puppy culture just just there by the way um So, yeah, it's the startle recovery response is what we Mm -hmm. uh, work on with them and that's exactly what we're looking at. So, um, you know, at about, oh, what was it? Um, I think it's like that five-week period where the startle response comes in. So prior Mm -hmm. to that, there is no startle response to anything. You can bang a pot and they're just like, oh, sweet, you know, (laughs) no drama with that. But then they we watch for that. So And it's not always five weeks, but it's it's about that. Um, where they'll look at something and they'll start to go, oh, hang on, like there's Mm. something's happening. And so then we work with that response. So Mm -hmm. it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's exactly what you're saying. Um, And then we try to work out how much time is between that startle and that recovery. The ones that take longer to recover, a lot of the time um, we just pull back when there's like a bit of that that over um, reaction to something. So we Mm -hmm. just pull the say the top thing back we would take the crate out from under it we'd put the top in the room and then every time the dog approaches it we would treat that and yeah. then we'd build their confidence up but we don't let them get out of it they still have to do it they but still they just gotta do it yeah do it in their own time and with distance again um so yeah absolutely there a lot of a lot of what we do is challenge challenge mm. them challenge and challenge so we do the barrier challenge where we put their food behind a door like a crate door and they have to just walk around it it's amazing the amount of puppies that try to go through it or freak out and like you let them have these experiences and they get better and better and better if they can have it and they get that reward Mm. at the end of the day we don't fix problems for them you know like I Mm -hmm. put up if they have to run from their kennels to the veranda every morning um, and they have to figure it out and they get lost mm-hmm. and they freak out and they lose the pack and then they, you know, you're just there to encourage but not fix the problem yeah. and they'll problem solve their way through it. Um, so, yeah, that that's basically the basis of, of what you do with, with you know, six weeks to eight, nine weeks when they go home. Um, challenge them, scent circles, make them use their scent, you know, like teaching them um, what all these circles? different things. Tomorrow? Oh, so you put like little treats or you can even like rub the treat on the ground so it gets a scent and then they have to learn to follow it. Oh, They're just playing games. Like a lot of what fun. you do with pups at this age is playing games that challenge them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. We know um, biologically that challenges help with, with emotional resilience and with growth. Like there's the whole growth mindset thing with people. Oh, yeah, for that, sure. You know, yeah. so if you're not challenged and if you're not working your way through things, no, you don't build that skill. Like, so. Oh, um, I'm working on it every day in my, with my therapy clients, every day, yeah. every yeah, it's day. changing and their I, mindset completely, like yeah. as to what you can achieve in that self-talk yeah. and um, yeah. it's the same thing for puppies, you know, they're obviously not sitting there like having what humans go through, but, you know, they definitely, um, they feel it like they feel the challenge. They, 
get frustrated. Mm. You see their personalities mm. come out because they're like some dogs are just like, oh, we'll just work it out. We'll just keep working at it and then we'll get it. And then other dogs are like, oh, I can't do this. And they're like throwing themselves <laughs> yeah. the and screaming their heads off. You know, it happens. And then it's just, it's just knowing your puppy and then like working working with that. But, yeah, the so responses cute. are dramatic. And mm. that does um, dictate adult behavior as well. So mm. uh, if they, you know, I find the really confident puppies are the ones that will not necessarily get it straight away but will work at it are the yep. ones that I really like giving to training homes you know to things yeah, that are, yeah. they want to do like agility or they want to do those yeah. things because I know that puppy's just going to approach all these different situations with a really good mindset yeah okay um, so the problem solving thing um do you know um have you heard of circle of security parenting model it's the no. It's I have the, briefly, yeah, yeah. The hands and you've got to like let, oh, I wonder if I've got a picture of it on here. Is it where the, you let them go and explore? Yeah, let them go and, and explore then... and you're the foundation. So you've got to be there for when, oh, look, I've got an image here. Whoopsie. Um, You'll like this tomorrow just going to share my screen okay can you see that mm-hmm. okay so the hands like so you're the secure base and the safe haven so this is a, a parenting model if anyone's interested you can um look into it but you can do parent trainings on it and stuff so the, i need you to so this is the kid i need you to support my exploration so let them go watch over me, delight in me, help me and enjoy with me. So that's, they're talking about like checking in. So like mm-hmm. when kids will look back and check in and you know, you like how you'll call out like careful, like checking in type stuff. Something goes haywire out here and then they come back in. Um, So that might be, I need to, so they're welcoming, you're welcoming them, welcoming them back to you. And sometimes it'll be, Um, protect me, comfort me, delight in me and organize my feelings. So it can be any of that. Like it could be just Mm. a check-in. Like it could be just, you know, a delight in me check-in, you know. Um, And the hands, the idea of the hands, if you, you are the hands as the parent is the base. So always be bigger, stronger, wiser and kind. Whenever possible, follow my child's need and whenever necessary, take charge. I think it's a really cool balanced mm. model mm. of parenting where um we've got and it's something that I talk about when people with puppies and even their adult therapy dogs all the time is we do see a lot of people that aren't willing to let them go and explore they're not willing to let them problem solve they're not willing you know they're following them around everywhere all the time and saving them from everything all the time and protecting them from everything all the time rather than letting them go and experience things and check in or mm. um go back and um ask for help you know like it's such it's a cool thing when your dogs learn to ask for assistance with something mm. like it's so it's something you're missing out on if you don't let mm. them get to that stage you know but sometimes those um cues from the dog will be minor like they'll be tiny little you know I just look at you or you know something like that and they're trying they're seeking 
some feedback or, you know, a check-in with you. And we use our voice and, you know, we use our, you know, facial expressions and, you know, stuff like that. But being the base is also all about um, your, you stay regulated. So you Mm -hmm. stay regulated and they can live there, you know, go. And I just love that you mentioned that you let them problem solve because I see that all the time where people just want to save them from everything. It's it's so cool to watch. Um, A lot of obviously like puppy families wouldn't get the opportunity, but as breeders, it's super cool to just sit back and watch like a group of puppies figuring things out. Like, yeah, and the the ones that like it's so much like kids. Like I sit there and I think, am I teaching it again? Because <laughs> so they just like you know one or you put a novel item in there. So like a um you know like a ladder or like a wobble board. We use a lot of like unstable surfaces with them, and like the one puppy will like touch it and then run away, and then like the others are like looking at it and, like you're mad, you know, like, <laughs> like they're all like piling on it and fighting on top of it and then by the next day it's like king of the castle and who can get on it and stand on it the longest and yeah like they create their own games and like they have this whole little language between each other like even down to you know they're at like this three four weeks old um they start like really like like they're such social beings and they start mm-hmm. like really interacting with each other and like forming this little like this little group and there's like this little alpha male and then there's you know that's for 10 minutes mm-hmm. and then the next one's like an alpha for 10 <laughs> minutes because nothing no social hierarchy even exists at that age but they get into tussles and they you have to sit there and you have to let them figure even that out yeah um, like a lot of breeders panic and they're like oh my god they're fighting and pull them apart like no that's where they learn bite inhibition like you've got mm-hmm. to let these puppies like mouth each other and, and not hurt each other but like you mm. know the other yep. one will cry and they'll go oh whoops that was too hard you know um comes back to weaning off their mom like if you wean them too early um they don't they don't have a lot of bite inhibition because Mm. what happens is you got to let mom kind of come in and go okay that hurts and she'll be a little bit like evasive with them pull away or run away or teach them that social behavior of problem solve you know what's happening here now like why isn't mom letting me feed well you've got teeth now so Mm. you know that's uncomfortable for mom so she's going to teach you in a really nice way if you have a, a bitch that is um, is aggressive with them, that's not good. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that can actually stick with the puppies into adulthood. Um, if they, you know, if she aggressively tells them off, that's mm-hmm. that's a situation for remove the bitch at that point because those puppies are not going to benefit from that. Yeah. But the mums that like they turn it into a game, our girls like run away and they jump over them and they play bow and they'll try to distract them from what they're doing, you know. So yeah. it's it's really cool to watch them interact and play and figure things out. And, you know, even with water, like we really good in summer, like we put the water out and we let them play in the water and it's fine. Like there's puppies that take two weeks to put their paw in the water, but that's cool. Mm. You know, like yeah. they do it in the end. If you mm-hmm. just don't throw them in it and force them into it, you just let them figure it out in their own time. Yeah. Um, and then we do a lot of shaping as well, like um, with our pups. So taking one puppy away from the group, um, this is more towards when they're going to leave us. So they start to learn to be away from um, everybody else. Mm. So there's crate training involved as well. But we take them into a room and I'll just like put something in the middle of the room and just sit and be that neutral and just let them go. And they mm. have to, I mean, it's a very controlled environment, but every time they touch the object that I want them to touch, they get a click and a treat. And then they start to learn, oh, I've got to pick that up. Oh, okay, mm. now I've got to bring it to you. Okay, now we're playing fetch. Like, mm. so, you know, just being able to like 
be that sort of neutral thing that you were sort of explaining there and just sitting back and letting them figure it out and not trying to do everything for them yeah. is so valuable um, for teaching dogs to learn. So yeah. to grow that ability to, to problem solve and to figure things out. Um, yeah, if you're really interested in that, look up shaping. Um, mm. Dog yeah. training method that, you know, you can do that with your adult dogs. It's actually really, it's so fun to watch what they're going to do with it. I don't mind shaping, but I have a issue with patience. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, do I. so do I get frustrated, but oh, especially yeah. with baby puppies, figure it out. And it's like, so it's hard to watch other people do it as well. Mm. I think it's a hard thing to teach. It's a hard method to rely on. I know some trainers really rely on it. Mm with your clients because the timing is so crucial oh, yeah. and Lord help me if an average human being that rocks up to your dog training school has got any sense of timing about them at all. It is hard enough to get any correct timing, anything like, and so shaping, it just goes so, so haywire and can be so frustrating for the dog if the timing's not right. Yeah. Absolutely. But if you're the type of person who's got good, you've got like a quick, quick thinker and you've got um, good fine motor skills and a good reaction time, you should definitely do shaping because it's so good for the dog. Like it's such mm. a, and it works. Like it's so cool. Yeah, it's like good. it's a really, really cool thing. It's It should just form a part of your you know yes. like we use it as just something fun for our dogs to fun, do fun I like um, a game yeah yeah like a yeah. game like it's just something new yeah. for them to do yeah. so um yeah. another thing that's really important with your puppies at that crucial time is positioning um and holding them in positions because they're going to need that yes so yeah. and being calm in that situation it's mm-hmm. amazing how many puppies can't do that mm-hmm. so by um positioning I'm like sort of um you know your vets will do it a lot because you have mm-hmm. to hold them in a position, put a thermometer yep. up their bum, um, you know, and have that dog feel really comfortable with pressure on them. And and so we do that a lot with our puppies is just teaching. I mean, we do a lot of show training from young too, and a lot of that is teaching them to stand nice and still and be examined. Um, but that's a really good thing to teach, you know, to teach your own puppies is whether you go to a show or not is just teaching mm. them to examine, to be examined and to stand still and be comfortable with that, you know, fiddle with their feet um, because handling is such an important part of, of mm-hmm. their adult life and what they're going to have to experience living with people. So, um, you know, play with their feet, trim Makes- their nails, we trim nails every week. We use a Dremel, we use nail clippers, like do all of that stuff, stick your finger in between their toes, you know, brush them, do all that, all that nice grooming stuff, like get them used to things because um, pups that, again, are not, not exposed to it or negatively exposed to it have problems with the groomers, vets, mm. those sorts of things. And that's, that's, you know, stuff you can do at home if you're stressing about parvo or stressing about getting mm. out, you know. Yeah. Invite people to your house, yeah. get them to take their shoes off. You know, if, yes, you're, if yeah. you're really stressed about, about going out, yeah. like um, you can still teach all these puppies all these things in your own home and, and be really safe as well. So play some sounds. Mm. I was just going to say, um, mentioning positioning, um, that's also, you know, comes into the therapy dog world because mm. they've got to be used to being manhandled and lifted yeah. and moved around. Yeah, and yeah. that's definitely Held something and, to, to yeah. think about. And that's a hard thing for a dog. You know, dogs don't particularly like 
people in their face and you know Mm. like that's not their language like so eye contact is huge for a dog it's quite intimidating um so it's really important to to teach your dog these things Um, yeah I see it every day in my clinic yeah you know these adult dogs that can't they're like oh we don't know how they're going to sit still for acupuncture and I was like well maybe if you trained them when they were young yeah. <laughs> <to> sit still <laughs> that'd be easy but treats go a long way but anyway it's still um it's one of the the biggest issues is is to get a dog that's comfortable and that'll react appropriately like you know mm. you you're working on an area for them that could be quite painful and you get some dogs that just react and they just freak out and you know they're aggressive and there's all this behind them and then the majority of dogs because they've had good training and a good exposure and good handling will kind of look at you and then they'll like yeah. lift the lip at you or they'll lick mm. your hands as the biggest like please stop mm. you know like yeah. dogs want to avoid conflict it's then it's their natural thing you know Con- like fighting is expensive in nature like they don't oh, want to yeah. do that they don't want to mm. fight each other because it means death usually you know they get an infected bite from another dog like that's the end of the world for them so mm. um yeah. dogs don't want to do that but they will resort to that if they haven't been taught any other way not yeah. to so yeah 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 um yeah so it's I mean there's things that you need to teach to keep them safe there's things you need to teach to um just have a nicely functioning dog and then things you need to teach so that you can then put them into jobs and roles and have them be Mm -hmm. successful at that so um within all of it I think it's really important that um you get that exposure but you mostly give them a positive experience with whatever exposure you're you're um putting in their way takeaway message Mm. give them a positive what about overdoing it tomorrow? Like what what signs should people look for um, that their puppies, like how much, what should they aim for? How much in a day, like of outings, like if should people be taking their dogs to Pet Barn and then to Bunnings and then to the cafe and then mm. to the car wash or should no. they? <laughs> yeah, that's not super that. overwhelming for a puppy. So like to put it in perspective, when we're training them, they get one novel item a day. And that could mm-hmm. just be a brand new teddy in the whelping box. And that like wears them out. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're developing <laughs> so much. And then like that first week when you take them home, do nothing. Like just let them chill. Let them just like get okay. used to their house. Like just don't, you're not going to lose a lot of socialization time by just giving your dog that, um, just that time to settle. Um, the That's other important Because I get a bit pressured like, if we're going, if we're saying our cutoff's like 12-ish weeks mm. and I'm getting a puppy at nine weeks or eight weeks or nine weeks, I'm stressing. Like, Yeah, of course. You know, I've got to do everything. I've got to but get everything. remember, small experiences, big gains at that age. Okay. So it right. doesn't take a lot to get a lot of learning out of it. Um, and take it up to 16 weeks. You're still going to have like a, a lot of um, time in, you know, from 12 to 16 weeks where they're going to learn. Um, okay. But obviously the 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 3 to 12 weeks is, is where you're going to get the most gains and then it's going to gradually reduce up to 16 weeks and then kind of drop off after that. Okay. So um, don't be too bound by the 12 weeks. You just might have to do that a little bit more, yeah. um, you know, a few more exposures. To that um but yeah I would I wouldn't be taking them out you know multiple places in a day puppies need to sleep for mm. the majority of the day so if you're spending you know an hour training they're going to need to sleep for two hours after that mm. um so yeah and watch your puppy some puppies are cool with it but for the most part a 
trip in the car to the mailboxes a lot in a day, mm. you know, <laughs> you know, seeing people's a lot and you need to give them time to sleep to then let their brain assimilate what they've just experienced because that's how then mm. they can process it to memory. If you're doing all these things and keeping your dog really active and, oh, we're just wearing them out for the day and then mm. they'll sleep at night and they won't wake me up. Like, no, they're going to sleep like 23 of the 24 hours anyway. You know, like puppies, there's that's so what much people biologically say, going on. No, it's true. It's true. They but, that's what but that's what they're doing. That's what people are saying to me is that they just, they just can't wear this dog out like this puppy. Mm-hmm. Like they've got to wear it out. It and I'm time. like, I'm yeah. pretty sure that dog's overtired. It's and overstimulated. That's what happened. That's why it's done too much. Yeah. It's hyperactive yeah. now because it's overstimulated. And yeah, you actually just and need they to let it sleep. When they do they that. Do. You know? When Hard. they're like, oh, this puppy's biting me. I'm like, well, just yes. put it in its pen and let leave it, it alone. Sleep. Like, let it. It's like yeah. a kid. It's chucking yeah. a tantrum because it's so tired. It's a nap time. It needs a nap. And you need to be able to give your puppy like a really nice calm space to do that without children interfering you know that's another one that I hear all the time Tam is that um the the dog is choosing the kids are leaving the dog alone the dog is choosing to play with the kids all day and I'm like well no shit Sherlock like, the dog can choose everything in the house when yeah it's like up. <laughs> getting woken up and stimulated yeah. and it's like yeah let's go it's not making a decision for itself like oh I might be, t- uh, I'm a bit tired. Uh, no, I, yeah. might, I might get a bit overexcited if I keep playing and don't have a nap. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I might bite a bit hard. So I'll just sit <laughs> this one out, guys, even though it looks like they're having a sick time. They're <laughs> yeah. not going to do that. Like, put no, them in. They're opportunists. They want to be involved in everything and they will go until they drop. It's the same thing with over-exercising mm-hmm. them. Like you mm-hmm. need to make those, you need to understand what the dog can do and you need to make those decisions for them. So yeah, you need to have a section in your house that is like kid-free, yeah. is, is, you know, obsessive adult-free, like whatever mm-hmm. you've got going on. Um, and that doesn't have like 20,000 toys in there. And, you know, like you just, just chill things out a bit and play them classical music, let them sleep, like let them relax, let them have a time out because you're going to have a much better um, training experience, play Mm. experience when they come out from that. Um, Yeah. And don't overdo it. Don't do 50 things in a day. They're not ready for that. And what Um, about um, one experience a day? Okay. Like what's the perspective on routine with puppies as well? Like, I know you want to get a whole lot of stuff done for their socialization and confidence, but yeah. is routine something that actually really helps in those uh, early weeks or is it just more about ensuring that if they've had an experience, then they have a nap or should, yeah, should you aim for a puppy. nap at a certain time if no I think it's up to your puppy like I think you've got to just watch them if Mm. you know if they're behaving if they're just getting excessive with their behavior they're tired um if you know if you've been out somewhere or you've trained them they need to go in and sleep after Mm. that um yeah I just always half an hour after eating keep them nice and quiet don't let them like they have a little energy boost after eating um you don't want your puppy running around then um, just, you know, I think it's common sense and it's understanding your pup just like you would with your kids, um, you know. Is that because of bloat tomorrow? Things. Yeah, yeah. So especially Goldens, um, well, your bigger, deeper-chested breeds, um, mm-hmm. Goldens tend to gulp their food. They're big eaters. So, mm. you know, they tend to eat really fast and then they're like really active dogs as well as being, you know, really um, 
beautiful and, and quiet as well. So if you let them run around straight after eating, you, you're A, just messing with their whole digestive process and then mm. B, setting them up for a torsion or, or twist, mm. um, excess gas, bloat, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so as a rule, um, and I say to all the puppy families, feed in a crate feed or feed in their caged area, in their X-pen or whatever you're using. Mm. Um, our dogs go in their kennels and they know it's half an hour. And so in terms of routine, like our dogs know that we get fed in the morning, we get fed at night. Puppies usually fed three times a day. Um, and then it's like quiet time after that. Mm. Or what we do is feed breakfast and dinner. And then in lunchtime, it's like in Kongs or in, mm. you know, like an enrichment thing like that, where they're just slowing their, their eating down, but they're also learning at the same time and doing something that's wearing their, their brain down a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then resting it just get in the habit of resting your dogs after they eat because um just for everything it's just a good nice time for them to be calm yeah. um, same as teaching them calmness in the house and areas where you don't want them to be you know roughhousing and you know leave that for the garden mm. um, just just having control over spaces in your house is really important for puppies um I just think exercise pens are the best things in the world Same. just set up an area where they can your puppy can actually sit and watch what goes on in the house yeah it's in an area where you know you're around and they're not isolated because that's a, so a lot for a pup to be isolated but they're mm. learning to be away from you but with you at the same mm. time so yeah. it's okay to not be touching you and following you around and doing stuff with you all the time we're just sitting here we're chilling they have their food in there and you form those routines around their space and their areas and that's mm. super important for later in life because mm. um, they just get comfortable with that and then it's easy to send them off to be babysat by someone or yes oh my god yes a nice routine where they just chuck themselves in their crate and you know yes it's not a cruel thing it's a it's helping them to regulate themselves and have a, yep. a safe space in a world that is quite overwhelming to them when they come home uh one of the, like a Avoiding Sorry. all those like beh annoying behaviors like um, chewing things and picking up stuff. Like so puppies pick up things and you don't want them to have it and people take things out of their mouths and then they end up with a problem where puppies pick up things and then run away because they don't mm -hmm. want to lose it and things like that. Whereas your puppy playpen can just be perfectly puppy safe and it's like mm -hmm. they can just don't do whatever they want in there. Yeah, yeah. puppies will practice what yeah. they repeat. So if you're constantly letting them pick up your socks, they're going to constantly pick up your socks. Mm. Um, you know, same thing. If you're letting them bark all the time, they're going to keep barking because mm. you're learning it by doing it. So the easiest way to stop these behaviours, and they're 100%, you get on the golden forums or the any puppy forums, it's like, how do I stop them digging a hole? How do I stop them, <laughs> you know, grabbing my stuff or chewing my shoes? And it's like, well, stop giving them access to it. Yeah. It's simple. Yeah. It's really yeah. simple and it's it not is that cruel. Simple. And at the same time, you're teaching them separation mm. is fine. You know, yeah. you're not going to have a dog with separation anxiety because it's been with you for hours and hours and hours in the day. So, yeah, just stop yeah. giving them opportunities for that. Um, when you get your dogs home, it's important just to know about the fear periods just quickly before we wrap this up. Um, so you have a fear period at eight weeks is the first one, which mm stupidly coincides with when most puppies go, go home. home yeah um yeah and that's that's not ideal so we actually keep our pups to nine weeks mm. um most breeders yeah it's sort of are sending them home around that um 
that eight that eight weeks is is the norm. So just be mindful of that. That your puppy's going to be really heightened um, to things that wouldn't normally frighten them. So anything that they've been exposed to prior to this fear period that they've accepted and, and they're all happy with in a fear period, they're going to go, "Holy crap, that's really scary. Everything's really scary and really emotional." Um, and they they're not often very um, yeah they're not very reasonable through a fear period it doesn't mean that they're going to be like that forever it's just mm. a, it's a snapshot in time sometimes it's only for a few days sometimes it's for the whole week um, and all you have to do during a fear period is dial it down don't yeah. be exposing your puppy to all new things during the fear period and try yeah. to get them through it don't try to reason with them just keep things chill keep it quiet Maybe don't do I'm... much um yeah so you have your first one at five weeks when they're with you you have your second one at eight to nine weeks so um, for breeders in that five weeks, it's like the quietest week for us because we're just, you know, playing classical yep. music and letting them hang out and lots of love and care. And then it's like, okay, six weeks, here we go. That's the best <laughs> week. So, um, but yeah, just be mindful of that. And as breeders, maybe consider in your program, sending them home later. Mm. It's that one week later or watching your puppies and then, because some of them, you know, they all have it at different different times um within that week they won't all just like okay it's Wednesday guys let's have a fair period you know <laughs> so you'll have a puppy that might have it on Monday one that'll have it on Tuesday one that doesn't start until nine weeks so maybe just run that time out and then yep. send them home when you know you're sending home a better emotionally resilient pup <laughs> yep that also works works out really well with what you suggested with just having that first week at home yeah anyway, be really quiet regardless home. yeah yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we knew third... our pups were over it, so we were like, okay, guys, get them out. <laughs> like, you know, because we knew where they were at when they got them home, so that was fine. But some breeders are not up with those those periods and or just, yeah, haven't mm. educated them. So, yeah, just as, a, as an owner, um, just expect that your puppy might be a little bit frightened of things, overwhelmed, and very quiet in that first week. Everyone's like, oh, wow, they're so good. They're so quiet. No, yeah. like their world is just imploded. Yeah. I was like, just wait. <laughs> Talk to me next week. And then it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. There's a personality now. Yeah. So. <laughs> What's the third, third one? What was that? It was the third. third oh, the two one. majors are five and eight weeks. Okay. Um, they, there's talk of them going through another one. I think it's at um, sexual maturity around there, but I think that's more to do with hormones. Um, mm, yeah. You know yeah I, I anytime where your dog just looks irrationally scared throughout and it's sort of coinciding with those times most likely just a fear period because I've heard all sorts of different um mm. age yeah. ages and stuff for for the third and fourth I've heard suggestions that there's a third and fourth and they're all different ages and stuff like that yeah. that but then it's, it's probably one of those things that we just don't really we don't really don't know. Really, don't really know yet. Yeah. I think the I go off the puppy culture one and that's from a veterinary biologist that, that came out with the start or response and then the two fear periods. Yeah. Um yeah. And it's been pretty consistent with raising our dogs here. I mean we raise I think a it's lot of puppies. So easier to tell with puppies <laughs> in a litter, like they're all in the same environment, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, you it's can kind of definite, pick yeah. it up a lot easier. Whereas when you take yeah. a dog home, it's like yeah, what are they scared? What are they exactly? doing? What's, yeah, yeah like triggering. that's why it's easier just to avoid it as a breeder and just not send puppies home in that eighth week. Just send yeah. them home at the end of that eighth week. Yeah. You know, if you 
you're pretty confident they're all through it. It's yeah. the first time I've I've hung on to them longer, um, and it's made a huge difference. It was, yeah, mm. hands down. You know, we had one that yeah. got home at ten weeks, and one went home at nine weeks. Um, and they were so confident. They were so happy. There was more that we got done with them in terms of we could drive them for that extra week in the car. Mm. Or, you know, we took them down to the vet for a little bit of a play and, you know, yeah. like <laughs> out. we had to do some fit to fly certificates. So they all got, you know, all handled at the vet and in a crate. And it was all really nice um, to have them for that little bit longer because then you. definitely it, it made a difference for those families. Um, they all noticed that their puppies were just, you know, coming in a lot yeah. more confident. Toilet training was kind of under under wraps by then as well. So, I'd be tempted to keep yeah. them for, yeah, like I I know some breeders do keep them till even older to mm, yeah, puppy like, culture to, says to keep them to twelve weeks. Yeah, to get that done because yeah. you just cannot trust these bloody owners to go and do the right thing and yeah. have the time dedicated to it and stuff like that. But what? To keep them till 12 weeks, I mean, it just takes over your entire life. Like, what are you training, 20 puppies? It does, like, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, this last it's one a real was balancing craziness. Act. Like, mm. it is a balancing act. And then the thing that you have to weigh up, which for me is why I send them home at this age, is their, um, their need for human interaction one-on-one and for this love and attention mm. is so mm. high. And so then you have these puppies that are like crying for you constantly. And then you're also creating that behavior because you can't have 18 puppies living in your lounge room, you know, like, no. you know, our <laughs> pups are really lucky. They've got these beautiful kennels now um, that's attached to our, it's just attached to the room I'm in right here, which is part mm. of our house. So they're like mm. part of our whole life, but they've also got, you know, their own space and and whatever. But um, yeah, it's it's hard because you're also getting puppies that are having little dominance issues within within their group, mm. um, and they kind of need to come away from that because it's really hard to put out fires with 18 puppies, mm. um, and then you know you start to get just it's too much. Yep. Uh, if you had a smaller litter, no problem because you could start to separate them into you know different areas and have only two pups together, and um, they're still gonna uh, they're still gonna like learn to love their family at 12 weeks that's that's not mm. you know the difference yeah. um they're still super cute at 12 weeks but um yeah from a breeding sense from a breeder's sense it's probably not the easiest thing in the world to mm. achieve and, and I mean the amount of poo and stuff you're cleaning up it's like it's non-stop and it's, it's really lot. it's hard it's a lot yeah and I feel that I'm not giving each puppy there's no way in hell as good as what you think you are you can't give each individual puppy the attention that one family can give that puppy um, and the experiences. So for me, we do a literal program where our families are like on Facebook group and every week we have a topic and we teach them every single week until they take their puppy home. So I feel really confident sending them home that I know these pups are going to get what they need, or at least they're going to come back and talk to me if they're not sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, if, if you've got a smaller litter and you're not spending time educating families, the safest thing to probably do is to keep your puppies later and get mm. them through the socialization period yourself. But that means taking all the puppies out to places yes. and like, you know, the logistics of it. I don't know how you make it work. Do it properly. Mm. Um, two questions before we go, two last things. One, cause these are things that this is something that people ask puppies, at home all day while people are at work people get worried about leaving their puppies and they think I'm taking this puppy to work because I don't want to leave it at home do you have any recommendations or information about us I've always done the playpen 
thing, puppy proof mm-hmm. playpen and cut back my work days and hours and stuff like that to, yep. you know, I do that for about a month when a puppy gets yes. home, but I've also got other dogs. So I'm not leaving a puppy completely by themselves. Yeah. Yes. As well. I leave them in a play pen with Sorry. other dogs in the room. Yeah. Um, Not just out with other dogs. Cause you never know. Yeah, exactly. Um, hundred uh, percent. That's what, what I would be think? recommending. Um, I ask my families to pick their puppy up when they know they can have time off yeah. at least for, a, for the first week or two weeks. Um, the last group out of 18 or 16 families, everybody took time off. That wasn't Good. a big deal. And they didn't take the puppy. There was some we kept later, like another week to two weeks later, um, just to make sure that that family could have them at the right time. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if you're getting a puppy, just plan it. Don't be like, hey, we're just getting one because it's available now and then mm. we're going to go to work. You know, that's not fair on the puppy. They mm. need you and especially because of the socialisation time, they need you for that time. So be around, shorten your hours, don't work as much. They can be alone for a few hours. It's not the end of the world. Um, if you have no way of taking the time off, then getting family members to come in and break the puppy's day up is a great way to do that. Um, there's really good dog walkers and trainers that'll come to your house and do some stuff with your puppy. Um, just, you know, giving them, try to get all these social experiences in and not leave them alone because you've got to train a dog to be left alone. They're coming mm. from having me with them for eight weeks um, yep. their mom's interacting with them all the time and a litter, litter to mates. sleeping on their own, being on their own. Like it's a lot and it's emotionally can set them up for failure. If you're just chucking them in a pen and letting them cry it out, that's, um, that's not the way to do it. You need to be set up and, and prepared and be around. They need to get, they need to form a relationship with you. So, so don't spend two weeks, not crate training your puppy. Don't spend two weeks yeah. off work being with them 24 7 and don't no, go over out them. yeah go out yeah. leave them on their own but yeah. do it Start in school, teaching them. teach them yeah. to be by themselves yeah. and the easiest way honestly the easiest way to teach a puppy not to be um not to have separation anxiety is your pen put a pen in the house Absolutely. teach them to the be there space. but not with you that's the whole basis of yeah. leaving them at home alone it's okay to be on your own Give them calms, feed them, you know, give them enrichment, give them things to do when you're not there. Um, yeah. Yep. Last one. Thank you for that. That's going to be really helpful for people. Last one. There's a few sort of like things popping up where people have got little businesses that they somehow get like 20 puppies and they put them in a playpen in a shopping centre and people come and pat them. And they what? call that animal assisted therapy. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that, Samara? <laughs> oh, my God. Where do, number one, where do they get the puppies from? Yeah, number two, who is stupid enough to do when this? I see stuff like that and it makes my blood boil, but we're an unregulated industry, so I can't do anything mm. about it. But I see things like that pop up and people are calling that animal-assisted therapy and these are all little therapy puppies and this is not. It's literally set up in a in a Westfield in a massive shopping centre. And, like, there's puppies and people are just, there's all these people in there and people are just patting the puppies and stuff. But I'm thinking, 
because I've had well, you're ruining those dogs for life. You're ruining for those start, dogs for life. Like that's just life. horrendous. Like that's no life for those puppies. And in terms, I mean, there's a lot more to therapy work than patting a puppy. I know, right? It just uh, irks like, me. That no, I really. I think me. steer clear of that. And for this, for the. If you don't give them an industry, if you don't support it, eventually it's going to disappear, isn't it? So, and that's, um, yeah, yeah, I would be not supporting for the Huge general well being of the dog. I would not be supporting that, mm, let alone yeah. the crappy therapy experience you're getting. Which, and or like puppies bite anyway. So, like, all these people are getting mm. bitten by these tired puppies, and puppy teeth are sharp. So I don't know why it's mm. a therapeutic experience. Um, yeah, one of the things so that, you know, we discuss is that when when you make decisions like that, there's no one to, to stop people from doing it. So they can do whatever they want. But when you're doing stuff like that, those dogs, you know, they should be asleep. They should be at home asleep, not being passed around to like mm. there's like 20 people in there like being just passed and they're all kids and stuff being, just being passed around and who's are the these dogs puppies support? like independently owned or like do these places own 20 puppies i think this place own puppies? them i was trying what to what happens find to the, the puppies when they're not link. puppies anymore i know but where also where, where they, they get the puppies from yeah i'm just gonna really quickly see if i can find i really it. need but, to look that up that's that's crazy. I haven't heard yeah, of this. Yeah, no, neither. But yeah, from a from a dog loving and owning and understanding perspective, like the amount of trauma that's causing those dogs is that's sad. Like you say, they should be at home sleeping. They should be with their families, having proper love and attention, not being used in that way. Yeah, so, not manhandled like that. Like. No, that's awful. That's just like you can't control any part of that puppy's mm-hmm. environment at all. There's like, no relief. Nothing. That's yeah. That's a level of cruelty in my mind. Hmm. It's just one of those things that I just think we might as well mention it and say, mm. "Hey guys, um, it's not actually a good idea to be doing that sort of stuff to puppies." Hmm. You know what I'm saying? No. Well, every moment that puppy's experience is open to constructive or destructive learning. So. You know, every every time a kid holds it wrong or overdoes it or whatever, that puppy's having all these learning experiences mm-hmm. going through their head that's going to affect them into adulthood. So if it's like people are independently owning these dogs and lending them out for this, like you're putting your dog at massive risk of having really bad behavioural problems from that. And then if it's an organisation owning them and just doing this, like I'd want to know what welfare you know sort of Mm. situation these dogs are in and what happens to them afterwards and because the puppies coming out of that are not going to be well socialized that's a perfect example of bad socialization or a misunderstanding of socialization Mm. that's flooding them that's no yeah that's okay good because that's what I thought too I thought that too and it's disappointing to see that that sort of thing can still get out there because it's yeah yeah it's really one of those things that you just go okay well are we really not have we really not moved past that yet like Mm. you know we're still doing stuff like that really okay Mm, such a lack of understanding yeah Mm. it is if I find it I'll send it through to you yeah please do Mm. that's full on 
I have questions for these people. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for your time. Thank oh, you, everybody so who's welcome. still listening to us. I I bet you are because <laughs> even if we've we've been yeah, we've talking to you about this on a couple on of a, a couple of commutes to and from work, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure you're still listening because it's just riveting. This stuff oh, it's so absolutely good. riveting. There's like, so much to yeah. learn, isn't there? Like even just yeah. in preparing for this podcast, yeah. I was like, oh wow, like yeah. so much stuff that I'm going to do in my next litter now. <laughs> you know, like just <laughs> so going cool. in depth with stuff because you kind of get caught up in your processes and what you do. But yeah, like, we might need to just have another podcast and review yeah, every time. <laughs> catch up another every time. Yeah. yeah, I think we should do one when I've got puppies next time. Yes. <laughs> Be well, but we'll come we'll come um and fly to you yeah, to we'll do, do the podcast for that. Yeah. For that oh, you, so I didn't can, see you at my puppy party. So we can play at the puppy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never did promise get your me, address. You promised yeah. me you were coming. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll have to do one with all of you in the welcome box. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, Tamara. Oh, you're so welcome. It's always a pleasure talking to you girls. I'm sure we'll speak with you again. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in studying with Therapy Dogs Australia or you have a few more questions before deciding, please get in touch with us by emailing courses at therapydog.com.au or visiting our website at www.therapydog.com.au for more information and FAQs.